Another Western Conference team has made some changes, and believe it or not, they're not deep in the dark woods as you think they are. They're knocking on the door of a playoff spot. However, the decision to make a coaching change has kind of rubbed some fans and players the wrong way, culminating into an incident where a fan base decided to boo an entire player. Don't worry, though. They eventually cheered for him later in the week. We'll talk about all the commotion going on in St. Louis in episode 392 of the Lace My Podcast, which starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm uh, Brett Duboff. Turning our attention to another team in the Central Division, making a coaching change this time, Brett, it's the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, this one was actually kind of, like, was kind of surprising. Like, I know um, the Blues... um, like I, I don't I don't think we had lofty expectations at the start of the year. Um, but yeah. what is interesting about this blues team in particular is that like when I was looking at their stats and and all that stuff, I was just like, Oh, they're one point out of the um out of the wild card race. They still like even at the time that they fired Barube and they're still one point out of the wild card spot. But then I was like, you know, kind of like the underrated story of the year so far is that Jordan Bennington might be back. Um, but I, although now that I'm looking at his stats, it's like, okay, maybe Bennington has kind of cooled off a little bit because now I'm looking at he his He still stats. performed better compared yeah. to like what some was. of the previous yeah. seasons that we've seen, to be fair. fair. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's getting there. That's true. But like currently, I was just, I was about to like, uh, like, of course, but, like, I I personally don't like Jordan Bennington for uh, what he did in 2019. <laughs> also, he seems like he's not that great of a guy, uh, a person. But um, but I was about to compliment him, and now I'm relieved that I don't have to because I thought his stats were actually better. Um, but it turns out that he has a 908 save percentage and a 3.05 GAA. He does have a winning record, though, 10-9-1. and Um so, so maybe there is something to that where he's also faced the most shots in the league. Yep, by the way, fair. And then, like, you look at their skating, it's like, yeah, like Robert Thomas, he's been good, he has 32 points in 30 games. Uh, Buchnevich and Jordan Kyrou, who we'll get into in a second, um, had kind of cooled off, they weren't necessarily doing anything. I, I have Kevin Hayes in. Um, a few leagues, and uh, so I, I was aware that he was scoring sometimes, but um, he's kind of been a little bit disappointing at times as well. So uh, 16 points in 30 games, and then you just go down this list, and it's like, okay, so maybe that's why Armstrong did did this, to fire Craig Berube and all that stuff. But then you also think of like, because I knew that, like, Justin Falk, for instance, he's uh, on a four-year, $6.5 million um, uh, contract right now. Or, you know, he's... In still... terms of, by that, what's left of his contract, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I said that. I rephrased that poorly. Um, okay. Yeah. Same... Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Same with uh, Tory Krug. Uh, Colton Pareko has $6.5 million, but for... Uh, and he has a few years even more left on his contract. So you have three defensemen making $6.5 million. They're all disappointing right now. Although, like, to Justin Falk's credit, he was pretty good last year. Tory Crew has been battling injuries, and he's starting to pick it up a little bit. Um, and then also it's like Nick Letty, who used to be actually a decent shutdown defenseman, um, I remember when it used to be like a big deal when the Blackhawks traded him to the Islanders uh, because it was like a cap dump move. Yeah. And you're thinking he was kind like, of the de- the, the Devontae's yeah. of his generation in a way. He yeah. was this kind of defenseman that everyone was jealous they didn't have. Exactly. And then he's making, which is fine, but he's not like you don't expect him to score a ton of points or anything like that. And then. Yeah. Um, but even still, it's like he's kind of like a, 
a ver- like a a poorer version of his former self. Like he's not in his prime anymore. Yeah. Um, but even yeah, still, he same. has three more years left on his contract, uh, making four million. So that's still a lot of money. And then it's all to say, like, I guess what what ended up happening, or the reason why they locked up their defenseman like this, is because Alex Petrangelo, uh, he left, um, and in uh, in 2020. Um, and, um, supposedly we, we looked this up, uh, that it was due to the fact that, um, st- like, um, that Petrangelo wanted a no movement clause and it turns out that, um, and Doug Armstrong just didn't want to do that. So, mm-hmm. so that was, um, he was willing to stay there. He just wasn't refusing to do the no movement clause. Which I guess makes some sense. It's like, you know, yeah. well, of course, Petrangelo won the Stanley Cup or he was a big Petrangelo reason. is 33 years old, by yeah. the way. You want to give right. a guy a seven-year deal with a full no move, yeah. you know, entering his like age 29, age 30 season. That That's a risk that I'm pretty certain uh, if you look at history doesn't favor GM. Yeah. So I can understand the hesitancy there. Yeah. And also, I mean, to, to be fair, though, like, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights did win the Stanley Cup and Petrangelo was a big part of that. So it's yep. like, okay, maybe, you know, he is a good defenseman. Um, so maybe you just like suck it up. But I guess like the thing, it, and I, I partially agree with you at, as well, because it's like hindsight is twenty twenty and all that. But, um, but at the same time, it's like what they basically did was they signed like Krug, Falk, and um Pareko and Letty like so four defensemen who basically do some aspect of what Petrangelo does <laughs> and, and kind of just like they basically like expanded out what Petrangelo does into like four separate p- players um and just gave those guys long-term contracts which isn't necessarily the right thing to do um and um you know i, I don't, they also gave yeah. Scandella a four-year extension yes, which uh, looking back at 3.275 is so, a lot yeah so so to bring this back um Berube did what he could um and i i but like the real reason why the blues are struggling is the contract situation also like jordan bennington like now that he is back to struggling a little bit now, it's like he's making four years, six million um, as well. So, like, that's not a great contract. Um, so, anyways, I, I guess I'm just thinking that there's not... Um, it's like, yeah, was Berube the right thing to do? Um I mean, I, I think Berube was able to um, get something out of these guys um, and um, and that there is something to that. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this, this team is a flawed team. Like, even if they do make the playoffs, I don't think this team is going to win the first round. Um, which is funny, because I'll get to this now. Uh, because Armstrong said in his presser, by the way, I think I mentioned this, but in case no one know, uh, people who are listening don't know, Doug Armstrong is the general manager of the Blues, and uh, Drew Bannister is mm-hmm. now the new head coach. I think he's just interim for the moment. Um, yeah, he, uh, prior to the game against Ottawa, by the way, yeah. no coaching experience in the NHL as a head coach. That was his head coaching debut you just saw. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but anyways, in the presser, uh, Doug Armstrong said that um, that uh, this is from, uh, or I heard this from Greg Wyshynski, so I don't know the exact quote, uh, but uh, mm. it was basically that uh, he was asked about, like, you know, just where he sees this team, and he was saying, like, yeah, like this team could beat the Colorado Avalanche, uh, which is which is just funny to me because it's like, yeah, the Colorado Avalanche are kind of struggling a little bit too, but it's just like funny because it's like. So you fire the coach that to a team that you think is going to like be uh, a very good team in the Colorado Avalanche. So it's 
Um, it's just kind of like a, a weird situation going on there where it's like, I don't get that logic. But the other part of me wonders, and I'll bring it to you after this point, um, is that because what happened was in 2019, um, they the Blues were the worst team in the league. Then uh, they fire their coach. They bring in Barube. And they also call up Jordan Bennington because they're like, you know, nothing's working. Let's just call up this guy from the AHL. That's not even in Springfield. It's from another uh, another AHL team entirely. Um, let's uh, let's just see if he's he's the answer. And it turns out Jordan Bennington was the answer for that season. They also and a lot of that also could be credited to uh, Craig Berube. Um, Ryan O'Reilly was a big part of that team. Uh, of course, Tarasenko was a big part of that team. Petrangelo, who we just talked about, was a big part of that team. So those guys left. And a part of me wonders if Doug Armstrong is doing this because he's like, oh, well, this happened in 2019. Let's uh, let's see if this works. But like at the same time, it's like that team was very, very different uh, from mm-hmm. the 2019 team. So I don't know if it's going to work. Um, but who knows, maybe like they did win, they have won their last two games since that incident. Um, so I guess it could happen. Um, it's possible that they make the playoffs, but I don't think this team is going to make far unless they make some more moves. Um, so we'll, we'll get to the Jordan Cairo uh, situation in a second, but what are your general thoughts about this firing? Well, uh, I don't know if people have been t- keeping track of how this um, how this roster has changed in, in the past four years, I think it is, five years almost, uh, since the Blues won the Stanley Cup. I'm pretty sure they had Jay Bonister on that team, who, you know, people will probably argue, well, you know, it was Jay Bonister on his way out, and he had some health problems towards the end. Not the same player. And true, you're right. But still, a big shutdown defenseman, that is still NHL serviceable. Um, They also had, as we mentioned, Alex Petrangelo. They had Ryan O'Reilly, who uh, is an underrated leader in his own right, a Selkie Trophy uh, winner, a guy who won the Conn Smythe that year, um, the ultimate competitor, uh, one of the best two-way players in the game today. Um, And definitely at his finest, you could say that about him. Uh, they don't have him anymore. They don't have Vladimir Tarasenko. They uh, traded him to the New York Rangers as well. Um, they had guys like Sammy Blay, who I guess is still around because they got him back. But they also had Curtis Sanford. Uh, they had uh, Carl Gunnarsson as well, who's a pretty good depth defenseman. They've lost a lot of players, and they do have some noteworthy faces from that run, such as Robert Thomas. But for the most part, this Blues team that you see right now is not the same one that you saw in 2019. Teams have started to figure out Jordan Bennington. And while his 908 save percentage is around the 912 average that you would normally get out of him over the course of a normal regular season, um, for all intents and purposes, you're not getting the lights out Jordan Bennington in 2019. They've... They've started uh, to figure out his uh, strengths and weaknesses, and uh, they've exposed his weaknesses uh, on a more regular basis now. And you also have, you know, heavyweights like Colorado and Vegas that are in the mix that are more established. Um, I like to think um, I, I like to think that Doug Armstrong is is a guy that knows his team, and I appreciate a man when he says, "Yeah, we can beat the Colorado Avalanche." Sure. The Colorado Avalanche are one of eight teams to score over 100 goals this year. The Blues um, have given up 98, uh, which is just a a shade under the Colorado Avalanche. But as I mentioned with Jordan Bennington's stats, uh, no other goalie has faced more shots than Jordan Bennington. Um, So for all intents and purposes, uh, they're trying to survive every single night they're playing. And also their power play is under 10%, Brett. Like, yeah. You got you got to be able to contribute offense with your special teams. The Blues can't do that. They're one of a handful of teams that are below ten percent in that department. So if you're looking at the amount of term and dollars that they're dishing out to their star players like Tory Krug, who they 
as we mentioned many times, have reportedly tried to trade in the offseason, didn't end up working out that way, and he's still on the team. But if you're left with these players, for better or worse, you've got to find a way to get wins on the board. And heading into the season, I wasn't sure if Craig Berube had what it took to turn this team around. And I think he was the right coach for the Blues in 2019 when they won it all. That does not mean he's the right coach now. And with um, a game below 500 heading into their game against Ottawa, which they won, and they also beat the Dallas Stars to the following game. So they're 2-0. That's good to this point under Drew Bannister. There's still a lot of unknowns with this team, and I just don't know if this team screams playoffs for me. Yeah, They might be a wildcard sneaker, but I don't really consider them to be a threat in the Western Conference. They're just a team that's right there. But I don't think they can really punch above their weight with the guys that they have, at least how they're currently constructed. And Drew Bannister is going to have to get something out of them that Craig Berube wasn't able to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, I guess, you know, it's like, I, I don't know if I would have fired him because, you, you know, you still have that, like, oh, well, he won a cup and all that stuff. And he still has that credits. And I don't think this is entirely on him. But yeah, I agree. I think there has to be another move that's coming into play for this Blues team to, or for me to feel like, oh, okay, this team's going to be scary in the playoffs. Um, I still don't feel that way. Um, and that's mostly just because it's Doug Armstrong's fault and not and not um, Barube. And I assume Barube will eventually coach uh, again in the NHL. Um, he is a good coach. I just don't know. Um, I, I think it's more of a team thing than anything mm -hmm. um and kind of to get a sense of how um beloved he was by the fans um jordan Cairo, um he said that at this point he had like 19 points in 28 games it's like okay but not as good as we where we expect him to be at this point but uh he was asked on his relationship with berube he said i've got no comment he's not my coach anymore um, and that's just like, what's interesting about this. And I kind of like, cause I was like emailing it, this to you. I was putting this on the league chat as well. And I was just thinking like, oh, he might've been like, he might've had some interesting, like, um, like he might've been, had some anger towards Berube for, you know, he just didn't get along with Berube or something. And I just, to, to, to put it into perspective, yeah. Jordan Kyrou has had back-to-back 70-point -back seasons. Yeah. He went from 188 shots on goal in 2021-22 to a whopping 272 last year. Yeah. And he upped his goal total from 27 to 37. However, and I know plus-minus is subjective, he was a plus-10 in 21-22 last year, minus 38 yeah. on the year. And uh, so in any case, uh, he, um, so they play, um, and it, what's interesting too is, so I kind of took this to mean like, oh, okay, so maybe there is something where Kairou just didn't get along with Berube and now he's just going to be on fire or something. What I found was interesting is because I posted this on a couple of my league chats and like the people who had Kairou or even like Blues fans in particular, they were just saying like, Hey, Kairou, like you're not struggling. What the what the hell? And uh, furthermore, um, I I guess I was wrong because uh, I was just thinking like you know it's like we kind of talk all the time about how like all these NHL players have no personality, and then once they show some personality or some something that's not usual, then they go like then we just hate them for it. So I was kind of defending him, but uh, it turns out that. Uh, what ended up happening, so he plays in Ottawa, or, or in St. Louis, this is the first game after Berube was fired, he gets booed um, every time he touches the puck, and then he was uh, asked about it in the post-game conference, and he was saying, like, he started to cry, um, and, I mean, that's also showing personality as well in a, in a different way, um, but, uh, but yeah, he was, he was basically saying, it's like, yeah, I knew what my comments might have conveyed, but I didn't mean it that way. We, I actually got along with Berube um, and all that stuff. And then 
uh, which is just an interesting thing con concept because like to me I was just thinking like oh like that's fine if you don't like, get along with the coach or anything but if he clarified that and it seemed like this truly affected him to the point where he's crying um, I'm just like okay so so there is something to that and then um, and then the next game uh, he gets a three-point game so and then he gets the first yeah. he gets the first star of the night he gets cheered so it's it's kind of proof that uh peer pressure works i guess um but um but yeah it's um it, it's tough love yeah and it, i guess it's like showing that like the fans love barube uh to the point where they like misinterpreted someone like wh what jordan kairu was saying and I, I think kairu acknowledges to his credit that what he said could have been construed as that he was trashing barube so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that, but, um, but like, I, um, I, I think there was something to like, like, oh, the fans like love Barube and they understand that Barube wasn't like to the point where it's like, if their star player, um, is like bashed the coach, they're like, the fans are like, all right, well, you're not a, <laughs> like, we don't care. We're going to boo you. Um, and, um, it, so it's like, that sends a message that like everyone knows the fans included, or like, especially the fans, they, they love Barube. They understand that what's going on with the blues is not Barube's fault. Um, and I, I just, you know, so it's like from that angle, I'm like, okay, so, so maybe I just <laughs> misinterpreted this whole situation completely. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, well, that that's also kind of wholesome too. I do wonder though if Kairu is going to turn it on now, um, just because he's uh, he's because it started off. He has a he had a three point uh, game last night, so maybe he'll. This is a new Kairu or something where he'll a new extra gear for him. To add to that comment, uh, Kairu kind of. Uh, I wouldn't say backtrack, but circle back to uh, the I've got no comment, he's not my coach anymore quote. And he said uh, days after that uh, Barube really helped him round out his game and helped uh, Jordan try to be a more complete player. He respects yep. him as a person, no ill will towards him. But I think similar with the St. Louis Blues, he's trying to put the past behind him and get back to winning hockey. Because yep. uh, prior to that comment, you know, he was talking about uh, trying to get back to the way we know how to play hockey. And by that, maybe he meant getting the, the confidence back yeah. uh, and getting a bit of the culture back that maybe was kind of muddied in between Petrangelo leaving and Ryan O'Reilly leaving. And there's just been a lot of change for the Blues to kind of process in just a short period of time. And they're tired of losing as much as the fans are tired of watching them lose. And, and they want to get back to playing winning hockey and, and restoring, you know, the amount of pride. Uh, and I think the fans probably look at Jordan Kyrou's numbers. Oh, he only played 16 games in 18-19. He only got three points. He wasn't a part of that cup-winning team. And Brube was the reason why we ended up winning the cup that year. It was the, it was the biggest thing we've had to cheer about our entire lives. And for this guy to maybe not give him like an ice cold forearm shiver on the way out, and I don't think that was his intent, but that's probably yeah. perceived based on those comments that he was like, ah, screw that guy. He's not my coach anymore. I don't want to talk about him. Right. Um, I think the fans probably perceived that as in, a, oh, you don't care about our boy. Well, we're going to boo the crap out of you right, now. Right. And then I think after hearing those post-game comments, they're like, okay, he cares about us. He's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think it was, you know, one of those heat-in-the-moment kind of things that, um, you know, the fans had to move past and the player had to move past. And, um, you know, I'm sure there are rough patches in a lot of hockey players' careers where their patience has been tested and their loyalty to their uh, to the fan base they represent has been tested as well and the winners uh come out of that on the other side bigger and better people and yeah. um i think jordan kairu um i take him at his word how much he loves this city and, and wants to play for this team and 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 these supportive fans that have been with this blues th uh, team through a lot of trials and tribulations in their rich history and um 
uh, hopefully that three-point game is, is the start of their resurgence. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so on that note, I, I think we're both in agreement that we don't think this is the right move. I feel like there's going to be more moves coming in the way, but... Um, I think I it was guess, the first move that they had to make to try and turn things around. I don't know what else they could have done. Uh, yeah, I mean, they could have made a trade, but yeah, I guess... Well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so the next question is, can the Blues turn this around? I mean, I guess it's still possible because they are one point out of the, the wildcard spot and they did win their last two games since the firing. I don't know if it's going to have some staying power, but at the same time, like I'm looking at the wild cards, the two wildcard spots right now in the West, um, the Arizona Coyotes have 32 points um, mm -hmm. and the Nashville Predators have 36 points um, and, and the Blues have 31 points. Um, so both have been streaky teams, by yeah. the way, they could easily go on, um, a right. bit of a sludge here. So it's, it's definitely like possible that the blues could get into the mix. Um, and it's also interesting too, cause in the central, there's a three-way tie at the top of the division where it's Winnipeg, Dallas, and Colorado, uh, with 38 points. So it's definitely possible the blues could get on a winning streak and maybe I'm like, you know, maybe just. Bennington will start to figure this out even more. Um, so I, I guess it's possible that they can turn this around um, and make the playoffs. But as I alluded to at the start of the show, I don't think they're getting past the first round. Um, so um, even if they do make it. Um, so that brings us to the next top. The next question that I have here is what other moves might be underway? Uh, well, um, that, that is quite an interesting question because I think in order for the Blues to make a significant transaction, they're going to have to swallow a very bad Buckley's pill um, yep. because they're probably going to have to retain salary. Uh, Kyrou, Thomas, Braden Shen, they're all getting paid a considerable amount of money for a considerable amount of term. Um, in terms of money, they could trade away and, and retain a bit less. Uh, I think contracts that could be swallowed, uh, Pavel Butchnevich, he has uh, this year, next year at $5.8 million. And I definitely think he's a guy of value that uh, they could uh, get a lot out of. But again, uh, Pavel Butchnevich is one of their better players. 23 points in 28 games, underrated goal scoring potential too. Uh, he had a 30 goal season his first year there. He had 26 and 63 last year, this year, after 28 games, he has 10 goals. And this is a team that, as I mentioned, a goal scoring, uh, potentially, uh, uh, particularly on special teams, rather, that's been a problem. Mm -hmm. So are you willing to trade away a guy that can do one thing that, you know, you're not getting a lot of on uh, the other end of things? You also get Brandon Saad uh, with uh, two more years left at 4.5 after this. I don't really think too many teams are going to want that contract. He's also 31 years mm -hmm. old. You have uh, Kevin Hayes already had a retained salary. I don't know how much value you could get out of him. He's the same age as Brandon Sod at 31 years old. Mm -hmm. And like Brandon Sod, after this year, he's got two more years left. Kasperi Kapanen, 3.2 million UFA next year. But again, I'm not really sure at 27 years of age uh, what Kasperi Kapanen is going to get you. He has 10 points in 30 games, just three goals yep. uh, this season. So I, I would say... Uh, he's not living up to his contract at the moment. And beyond that are guys that, you know, within a million to two million that, uh, you know, are definitely yep. decent additions to any NHL team. But again, I'm not really sure what you're going to get out of those guys if you trade them away. Uh, the biggest problem, as you mentioned, Brett, is the back end because hmm. you have Colin Pareko, Tory Krug, Justin Falk, um, at, at, uh, the best case scenario is Pareko or not Pareko, uh, Krug and Falk, who have three more years after this year at $6.5 million, both of them. And Pareko's $6.5 million cap hit goes well beyond uh, five years after this. Uh, Nick Letty, as you mentioned, at $4 million per season this year, plus another two. And then Scandella, fortunately, his cap hit goes off the bucks next year. But after that, you have Tyler Tucker and Scott Perunovich, uh, yeah. a decent bottom pairing. But again, I don't really know uh, what you're going to gain if you part with them. And 
how much of a difference maker they're going to be if you keep them around. And then Joel Hofer, you have what a five and five record, a worse GAA, a worse save percentage than Bennington. At 23 years old, definitely has room to grow, but again, you know, he's still relatively new into the NHL. Um, you're, you're, you're asking a lot for a young goalie like that to just step up and do whatever Jordan Bennington can't do. Uh, and their prospect pool, um, you know, you do have some prospects, but in right now, today, presently, I don't know how much can necessarily uh, turn things around for your team. You also have Jacob Reno, who recently put on waivers. I don't know what's up with him, um, but uh, there's also that experiment uh, that hasn't gone well. Um, you mentioned their, um, their point in the standings, by the way. Uh, Edmonton has dropped three straight after their red-hot winning streak. But they're only, you know, like four points behind the Blues currently. Yep. Uh, Seattle is only um, is only three points back of uh, the St. Louis Blues. Uh, I don't call Anaheim a threat. They've pretty much fallen off the map. But, you know, there's a chance that Minnesota Wild yep. could turn things around. Maybe even Calgary, although I doubt it. But just to even catch up to Nashville and Arizona is, is a chore in itself. But... Edmonton, if they if they continue to reel off wins like they've been reeling off, McDavid's top ten in scoring again. Uh, I, I don't know how St. Louis can outscore their problems. Basically, is what I'm saying. Well, so when I asked this question, I was thinking that you were going to list off some free agents and not actually list off like guys that they could trade away. Um, I don't think that they would do any of that stuff that the, you're thinking because I feel like they would go for it however I was just look while you were talking I was just looking at the free agents that are available so like it would be like a I just don't know if they can afford it on top of the contracts they uh, have that's mostly what I was getting I guess at. so but like if you're go oh I see what you mean I guess so but I feel like you could make some trades to this but like any in any case I was like looking at the list of, you know, free agents for the coming year. And it's like, obviously, oh. in terms of, like, rentals, like, obviously, Stamkos, Pedersen, Nylander, Reinhardt, and Gensel. Maybe Gensel, actually, because if you're... Um, the Penguins aren't doing well, but I don't know. It would take a lot. Um, but, uh, and Reinhardt's the other one where I'm like, oh, okay. So obviously those guys are going to stay with their team uh, for the rest of the year, even if they don't sign them. Because those, those teams are trying for the playoffs or currently in a playoff hunt or whatever. Um, however, I did see that like, okay, Jordan Eberle, um, he could be a, available. Tavo Teravainen, uh, he may need a fresh start. That could be someone interesting. Um, even like someone like Jason Zucker. I know like the Blues are like fighting with uh, Arizona for that wild card spot. So maybe that, but like at the same time, it's not like Zucker has been so great in Arizona right now. Um, and like in terms of the defensive side of things, like, yeah, I guess you're right. Um, it's, it's tough with their cap situation, especially on the defensive side of things. But I don't know what they um but like uh like i guess they could try to get like brady shea um or noah hannafin because those you know carolina and Cal calgary are struggling um even like someone like shane ghostis because it looks like detroit is now back to earth um so maybe they they try to do something like that but any of those guys i just mentioned um it's gonna like you know you could make a deal um I, I you know you just have to make the cap work it's it's not like they're it's not like they're the edmonton oilers where they're strapped for cash or something like that um they so they can make deals i just don't think they're gonna get a heavyweight that necessarily just moves the needle for them yeah like, but, i don't think that's something they can afford and i don't think they'd be willing to but move if they away get the prospect just to make that one deal happen yeah i guess that's fair but like if they get jordan eberle i feel like that might move the needle a little bit um, yeah, I, I can see Everly being a fit for them. Or Tavo Teravainen. That's another one that I could see kind of yeah, being out of team. Yeah. Um, and, but, and maybe offload like a defenseman because like yeah. Carolina's been looking for defensive help. Yeah. So if there's a way that they can make the money work, you know, yeah. you get rid of one of your defensemen to get in a guy like Tavo. 
Yeah, and Seattle could use a, another defenseman as well. Um, so yep. that's, yeah. yeah. I feel like it's like, There are oh, some okay. trading partners out there. There just aren't any home run trades that I think would be in their wheelhouse, really. Yeah, I, I guess it's like at the same time and now, like, you know, this is kind of like a like a brief preview of the trade deadline because I feel like Tara Vine and Eberle are going to be the hot t- uh, players that uh, teams will want uh, before the deadline. Um, but uh, yeah, in any case, um, yeah, I, I guess I, I think they could turn it around, but I, I would only feel comfortable if they make a move like that where they get uh, a rental um, and yeah. I'm like, okay, I, I, I think we're working with something there. Um, speaking of Carolina, uh, we move on to the rapid fire, um, and uh, this was a great transition, but I wasn't ready because I have to, like, open up the clock app here. Okay. So, anyways, <laughs> forget I said anything. Speaking of Carolina, uh, we start the rapid fire because Auntie Ranta was uh, waived um, or put on waiver. He, um, he was unclaimed. Um, and yeah, Antti Ranta had like a sub, not a sub 900 save percentage, but a sub 800 save percentage by the time, uh, he was waived. So this does seem like it was the right move. I don't know if this is because he's old now or because he is just, the injuries have caught up to him, but either case, um, it seems like he just didn't have it. Um, and there were, there were always these like jokes about like, oh, well, um, yeah, I can't even get to his stat page here. Um, but, oh, um, I found it. It's yeah. not good. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's funny. I had him in a, I have him in a cap league, but I had to unclaim him. So I'm trying to like, forget that I had Ranta on my team. Um, so I could have had Jonathan Quick on my team, but in any case, um, yeah, it's like, uh, I was like thinking like, oh, well, Edmonton's going to claim him because they're even more desperate and it turns out that they're not. Um, but yeah, Carolina, it's kind of interesting now, like in hindsight, it's like, why did Carolina pay Freddie Anderson and Ranta like to an extension when they could have like both goalies just didn't work out for them. So, um, so it is kind of like weird and I don't know what Carolina does now and and um, any anymore because it's not like Kuchetkov has been great. They did call up Yaniv Peretz, who was uh, their AHL goalie, um, but I feel like there's going to be a a move pretty soon where they're going to get a, another goalie pretty soon. To show you how bad Antiranta's stats are, he's six five and one, which is the only redeeming part about his stat line. Yeah. He has a 3.61 goals against average, somehow with a shutout in there. Yep. <laughs> hilarious. And an 8.54 save percentage. To put that into perspective, only two goalies have posted a worse save percentage. They are as follows. Magnus Krona on the San Jose Sharks with 13 saves on 17 shots. That's a 7.65 save percentage and a 7.87 goals against average. He has played this season 30 minutes and 30 seconds. The other goalie is Daniel Tarasov of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, Appeared in one game, started that game, lost that game in regulation, 24 saves on 29 shots, 8.28 save percentage, and a 5.22 goals against average. He played in that game 57 minutes and 30 seconds. Antti Ranta has posted an 8.54 save percentage. Yep. With nearly 749 minutes on the season. It's crazy. I, I and thought, those are the only two goalies with the worst save percentage. I thought you were going to say Jack Campbell was the other one. But yeah, that's even no. that's even worse. Yeah, he's, even worse. He's, he's worse than Jack Campbell. That's he's, crazy. He, uh, let's see. The set, uh, the name that comes after Antiranta is Eric Comrie. He was an 863 okay. save percentage. Yeah, that's not great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, practically unusable. Yep. The unusable numbers. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I guess like, do you, what do we think Carolina does? Or I, I don't know. If... Um, I don't know. Maybe collectively do a better job of um, yep. 
tracking the amount of shots that are coming the goalie's way, maybe limiting the amount of high dangers. I don't know. Uh, or maybe the goalies just need, need to be better because uh, Kochikov, you mentioned his numbers. He has an 890, yep. uh, 17th worst save percentage in the league. Freddie Anderson has an 894, 23rd worst save percentage in the league. Although Anderson, although his GAA is below three, so that's good. And Anderson is injured, so you can kind of yeah. Take, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you you must be pretty bad for a team to just be like, yeah, we know our starting goalie's injured, but yeah. you're no better, so yeah. we're waving you. And yep. his cap hits below two million. Yep. Um, so now in other news, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I assume the Hurricanes will make a move sometime this week and we'll, we'll yeah, cover may, it. Maybe they'll be the ones that trade for John Gibson and free yeah. him from the NHL. Well, yeah, maybe. Um, in any case, uh, Kyle Connor uh, is out. Um, he's going to miss the next six to eight weeks uh, because of a knee on knee. Um, and, um, yeah, so this is a huge loss for the Winnipeg Jets because he was, you know, low, he could have been, like, getting the Hart Trophy nods, um, but yep. uh, it looks like that's not going to happen since he's not going to play a full season. Uh, but on the other hand, it's like Gabe Velarde, he's slowly picking it up now. Um, so, you know, all is not lost in Winnipeg, but, of course, this is a huge, at the same time, it is a huge loss for Winnipeg at the same time yeah kyle connor was 17 goals in 26 games uh fifth uh tied for fifth in uh goal scoring league wide in that department yeah. um and averaging over 20 minutes per game definitely a guy that uh the winnipeg jets really can't afford to lose um at the moment but um at the same time though nikolai ehlers uh has 10 goals shifley has yep. 11 goals sure. uh you got nine goals from cole perfetti even eight goals from Nino Niederreiter. So um, I don't think one guy alone can replace what Kyle Connor is leaving behind for a bit, but co scoring by committee, um, I definitely think uh, the Jets can make do, especially if Connor Hellbuck uh, performs um, the season of his life. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, I guess there's like something in the water in Columbus because uh, this is the second year in a row where they have in bad injury luck. Um, this time, uh, Boone Jenner, which we didn't talk about last week, but he's out six six weeks with a bro a fractured jaw. Um, and then you have uh, Patrick Laine, uh, who's also out six to eight weeks as well. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, all is not going well in Columbus again and they were already off to a rough start to begin with but um yeah it's it's I, I I try usually when as you've noticed I've tried to uh give some like positive spin to injuries like this but um I guess it's like Fantilli sometimes is scoring but it seems like they're kind of like he was on the fourth line the other night so it's like okay maybe they're misusing him um in some case but um yeah, it's uh, not a great situation in Columbus, again. Maybe this will finally be the thing that needs to happen for Johnny Gaudreau to score goals again. Uh, yep. Because Boone Jenner uh, leads the team at the time of his injury with 13 goals in 29 games. Kirill Marchenko, by the way, nice story there. Yep. Uh, four power play goals, 10 goals in all situations. Good for him. Adam Fantilli, the rookie, with eight goals in his first 32 games. Eh, pretty good. Igor Chinnikov with eight goals of his own in 21 games. Even better. Yeah. Um, then you have Justin Danforth with seven goals in 32 games. Good for him. Fifth in team scoring also has 14 points in those 32 games. Yep. Uh, Dmitry Veronikov has six goals. Alex Texier, who wasn't even in the NHL last year, uh, back in the NHL with six goals. Then you have Patrick Line in 18 games with six goals. Sean Corrali with five goals in 32 games, the same amount of goals and games played as Johnny Gaudreau, who's also a minus six game. Yeah. Not great. Not good. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know what to say really, but, um, oh, I also realized I missed an item here. Uh, Dylan Larkin, he's also injured. Um, and yeah. per Perron, David Perron, it looks like it's unclear about his timetable, but it looks like he's, he's going to be back soon he's he was suspended for jumping artem zub he got oh, a six right. game suspension yeah. but the nhlpa has appealed oh, you're, you're talking about david perron yeah 
But uh, yeah, I, I was I was I don't know the timetable for Dylan Larkin, but I do yeah, know that that's indefinite. I think yeah. Yeah. Um, he he was put on the IR, which I think means that he's out at least a week. But that just happened, so he could be back pretty soon. Um, but in any case, the Red Wings have kind of come back to earth a little bit. Um, so uh, they kind of need Dylan Arkin. Um, or if this was any indication that they need Dylan Arkin, this is your indication that they need Dylan Arkin um, on their team. Um, so, yeah, he's he's out. Um, all that stuff. Um, Perfect time for uh, Patrick Kane to go off, by the way. In his first six games, he has a goal and assist and a yeah. minus seven. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um Tomas Tatar, that we have a trade going on. Um, Tata. Tata, yeah. Uh, he's going to Seattle, um, and Colorado gets a 2024 fifth-round pick um, in return. Um, he did play last night for Seattle, but he didn't get a point um, or anything. But I, I, he was used on the top line, so so maybe this is just a move for Seattle to, to see if they can spark something. Because Seattle... Um, I think I was seeing here that Seattle might like is projected to have less points than they did in their inaugural season. Um, so uh, that's not great. Um, and I, I feel like um, the only like bright spot for, or there's like two bright spots for Seattle right now. And one is Vince Dunn. Uh, it looks like he's still doing well. Uh, but, and the other one is Ty Cartier. Um, it seems like they may have found a diamond in the rough there because every now and then he scores some points. But he's not like a Connor Bedard or anything, but at least he's he's doing something on the score sheet. But, um, but yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see. Like, Matty Beneers, it seems like he's, he's really suffering a sophomore slump um, going on right now. I'm sure eventually he'll start to figure things out again. But, uh, but yeah, at the moment... Uh, maybe this will spark something, and we'll we'll see how he gels with Thomas Tatar. Um, but I, I assume they just wanted to, like, do something before they make even a bigger drastic move. I imagine Hacksaw will might be might be gone. Yeah, I mean they've already committed uh, a bit yep. more term to him. Uh, I don't know how much, but uh, after the promising season they had last year, I don't. I think it's. I think they're going to ride and die with Haxtell for most of the year um, or throughout the rest of the year for sure um, and see where things are at next year before they make a decision on that. Also, it's just that, like we said with St. Louis, Seattle could go on a bit of a winning streak and get back into the conversation. Also, I'm looking at Colorado's offense. Um, Their highest scoring forwards are McKinnon, Rantanen, McCarr, and Nichushkin. All of them are around a point of game pace or better. Their next highest scoring forward is Ross Colton with eight goals and 14 points in 30 games. And uh, you look at some of the names like Ryan Johansson, Jonathan Druin that brought in Miles Wood. They've been okay, yeah, but they haven't been terrific. And then you have Thomas Tatar who has a total of, uh, let's see here. Uh, I believe he had a total of one goal with the Avalanche. Yeah. Uh, before his dismissal, yeah, one goal, eight assists, nine points in twenty-seven games. Um, there are only three. Four, there are only three players that have played NHL games for the Avs this year that haven't uh, scored a goal, and he's one of uh, five players that have uh, only scored uh, a goal or less. Uh, ben Myers, uh, Sam Gerrard being on that list, and Sam Gerrard's currently on leave. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, not uh, the type of versatile player that they were thinking of getting. It's also just funny that Thomas Tatar is now going to play on the two most recent expansion teams now because he was on oh, Vegas right. for that brief amount of time as well. Yeah, good call. I forgot about that. Um, yeah, a lot of people forget, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah we'll see. Um, in any case, um, and then our last item that we have here, um, Alex Ovechkin. Um, he has gone 12 games without a goal and but this is like uh this is like a like a funny like gretzky stat where like any fact that you hear about gretzky you're like oh that's unbelievable but ovechkin has been in the league since like 2004 um Mm -hmm. 2005 and uh so he's gone 12 games without a goal obviously this sucks and you know that's like a usual case for most guys but not alex ovechkin 
this is his longest goalless streak of his career. Uh, so that's like, and he's been in the league forever. Um, and that just shows how good he's been over the time period. Um, I know at this point it seems like, you know, that's just how the Capitals have been built is to get him this goal <laughs> record. And it seems like, yeah. oh, he's he's losing it. However, at the same time, I feel like, like, yeah, this might be the start of, like, the end of Ovechkin here. Um, and that's always sad to see when, like, a star like Ovechkin um, isn't as good as anymore. But at the same time, I feel like he like he could come back and 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 uh, score some points um, and get that goal record. But yeah, it is kind of crazy because the Capitals basically built their they paid him a lot of money, uh, mostly so that he could get that Gretzky record um, in a few years. And it looks like that's in danger now um, with this uh, goalless streak. I definitely think it's important for him to get goals in bunches yeah. uh, just to not go through a really rough or grievous season yeah. uh, where you just forget how to score goals and then those problems uh, transition into future seasons because uh, even if he gets like 25 to 30 goals, he still has a fair ways to catch Gretzky. And if he's averaging less than 10 a year, yeah. um, not ideal for his pursuit at all. Yeah, I wonder if like, because usually what ends up happening with these these types of players is that they um like you know when they're when one skill is gone they like they just change their style of their of the way they play um yeah and so that they can like be in the league a lot longer um and -hmm. it's like and like you know Ovechkin is like 35 years old right now or I think he's even older than that um but it's like I do wonder if like maybe he does he should change that like the style of his game because now it's not working for him but at the same time I feel like I'm gonna be eating my words in like a month where he's gonna <laughs> like he's gonna like all of a sudden get like 20 if they, goals. If they get a red hot power yeah. play you know where the yeah. fuck's going but to I, and that's all it takes yeah exactly and and that's the crazy thing too with Oveshkin it's like we know what's gonna happen before it happens and no one can stop it usually until yep. right now that, that's his yeah, that's his bread and butter. So, it, it, you know, I mean, I think part of it is also that the Capitals aren't that good of a team. Um, but uh, but yeah, I do. I do just wonder if like maybe this is it for Ovechkin at the same time. So it's just something to monitor. Um, I'm sure um, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I guess I should I should say that I think Ovechkin will will figure it out. But um, it's, it's also hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that about does it for us here at uh, Lace Em Up. You can follow us on Twitter um, at Lace Up Podcast. Uh, you can also subscribe to us if you haven't already on any pl- podcast um, networks, um, including Spotify, iTunes, wherever else um, you listen to your podcast. Uh, so please subscribe. Um, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth, and we'll talk again in episode 393 of the Lace Month Podcast.